0: Let's talk about the future of news. I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news. This fake of journalism today. Telling both sides of a, of a controversial story. I think we must be unbiased. It's uh, honesty, fairness, uh, truth. That is our job. That is our job. That is our job.
1: Welcome once again to the Our Man in Stockholm podcast, the first Our Man in Stockholm podcast of 2022. Uh, you may have noticed that there's another podcast on this, field, uh, on this feed as well. It's called the Irish in Sweden podcast. But hey, you get both. If you want to listen, listen away. If you don't, turn it off and go do something else. It's entirely up to your good self. Uh, The start of 2022 and 2022 is indeed an election year in Sweden. The country goes to the polls on the first Sunday in September to elect a new government and woe betide the politician who would try to get them to do it at any other time than the first Sunday in September. The votes will be counted that night and probably by Monday we will have some idea of what the outcome is going to be. Is it going to be a continuation of the pretty weak centre-left coalitions that we've seen over the last while? Or are the right going to get back in with the support of the Sweden Democrats, a party who... Among their founders was a former SS member. To talk about this, I invited uh, Stockholm University Professor of Journalism Christian Christensen to, to join me. Christian is an extremely experienced academic... Uh, who has lived in the UK, he's lived in Turkey, he'll talk about those experiences and indeed compare and contrast some of the things that happen in Sweden. But in this year, it's very important to get an early grasp on what's happening here and the nuances of it, because you're not going to always get that in the international media or indeed in the media here in Sweden. So here it is, the first podcast of 2022, election year in Sweden. Christian, uh, why do people in Sweden only really want an election once every four years? It's very unusual to get a snap election, right?
0: It is, uh, it is unusual to get a snap election. Um, I think that the, one of the interesting things, actually, after the last election, if anybody can remember, that we went through this sort of six-month process of not really having a formal government, and mm-hmm. things moved along pretty smoothly, actually, even <laughs> without a government. And it, it's one of those interesting cases that, that Sweden has gone through these multiple phases of having, uh, you know, uh, mistrusts against the prime minister. The prime minister resigning 24 hours after she got the position. So it's been a very, very unusual four-year period. But but yeah, it, it is it is unusual in that sense.
1: Hmm. Um, what is the current state of play in Sweden, right? So, you know, just to give you some sort of context of where that question is coming from, I started sort of covering uh, politics about 20 years ago in this country. The Sweden Democrats have gone from being sort of 1 or 2% to doubling their vote every year and becoming the second or third largest party, depending on which uh, polls you believe in the country. Approximately one in five people are prepared to vote for them. What is Sweden today? Is it Olaf Palme's people's home or or is it another country that's lurching towards the far right?
0: I think, well, you know, there's a new poll that just came out today that showed the Sweden Democrats are actually the second largest party, but within the margin of error with the with the, the moderates, which are also a right-wing conservative party. They've been the Sweden Democrats are of course the big story from Sweden. For most people who don't live here, this has been the most interesting question. They've been stuck on 20% now for a while. And, and it looks like that's pretty much their ceiling. But because of because of the division of politics in Sweden, that 20 percent is unbelievably important because it, what it means is that neither the left wing or the right wing bloc can establish a majority by themselves without them. Um, and so that's why we've seen these minority governments in Sweden for the last few years that have been getting 30, 40 percent, as opposed to the old days of the Social Democrats getting over 50 percent. So. Yes, I think what you're seeing here is a restructuring of the Swedish political landscape, where the old block of the left and the Social Democrats and the Greens has become something more of a centrist block, and you're seeing a harder right, more conservative block on the right. So I think, of course, yeah, the days of Olaf Palmer are pretty much much gone. But I think also what we're seeing is that the Sweden Democrats, I think, have hit their ceiling. And if the polls today, as I understand it, were to continue until September, we would once again see a center left coalition government. So but it's it's going to be tight and it's going to be just as unpredictable as it was in 2018.
1: Um, this country has been famous over the last good few years, and indeed, throughout history, there's been an awful lot of minority coalitions. Uh, we've also heard the expression, the tyranny of the majority, and we've maybe seen that in America under the recent presidency of Donald Trump there. Are minority coal- coalitions a bad idea? Do they force everybody towards the center? Or, you know, do they force people to compromise instead?
0: Um, well, speaking as an American myself, uh, I, I, I do think that multi party democracies are a good idea. I think having two parties like we have in the United States I also grew up in the UK where there are de facto two parties, but of course we had the, uh, we had the uh, liberal Democrats as well. I think it's, I think it's a good thing because what happens is you take some of the power away from large parties. In this case, it would be the social Democrats and the moderates and, you know, smaller parties like the center party or the green party or the liberals Can have the power to pull parties in certain directions. And I think one of the problems with international coverage of Sweden and the sort of international understanding of Sweden over the last four or five years has been this total obsession with the Sweden Democrats that that, that the country is lurching to the right, that they could win the election. And actually, what happens is when you you place that much excessive focus on one party, you're missing the fact that parties that are actually only pulling in six, eight, nine, seven percent. Like the center party, for example, or the Greens, actually can be kingmakers or queenmakers in an election, and those parties can have outsized influence. So you can see that as a negative thing that a party pulling that small number of percentage shouldn't have that much power. But at the same time, I think it's actually healthy for democracy if you have smaller parties that maybe represent, uh, you know, not insignificant groups in society, but that can have influence on larger parties, and it also forces coalitions that in some cases can be beneficial, I think, and avoid excessive concentration of power like we see in other countries.
1: Uh, We've seen a situation of what is normally called confidence and supply, where a a party like the Greens, or sorry, like the Centre Party, who traditionally would have represented, you know, voters in the countryside, farmers, agrarian people. Uh, So they haven't been officially part of a coalition, but they've made agreements to say, okay, we'll allow you to stay in government as long as you do this, this and this. Uh, Is that what we mean by sort of, you know, like giving them a sort of, like making them the canary in the coal mine? Do you think that's a good idea in Sweden? Or have they actually gained a little too much power? Because they've moved away a lot from looking after people in rural areas and gone, you know, towards more neoliberal ideas in the last while, right?
0: Yeah, I I think that I think that that's the main criticism there, that smaller parties, when they get these outsized influence, for example, like the Center Party, can actually lose their roots, their political roots. And exactly as you're saying, the Center Party was originally an agrarian party, but is largely now forcing uh, the Social Democrats uh, to the political right, not necessarily all the way on the right hand side, but certainly making them a much more centrist party than they used to be. And of course, the Social Democrats are hand-tied in this particular case because their only other natural partners uh, are the Greens, uh, who they've had a coalition with. Uh, But the left party, which is the former Communist Party in Sweden, the Center Party has made it very clear that they will not work with them. And so unless the Social Democrats maintain this relationship with the Center Party, they're basically sacrificing their ability to, to keep and to stay in the government. So, yes, I think when you have parties that are pulling a very small percentage of voters, uh, but then have outsides influence. I mean, I sort of talked about that maybe as sometimes a good thing, but in certain cases, it can be a bad thing that forces parties into ideological positions that they wouldn't normally have
1: like i said 20 years ago maybe one or two percent of people were voting for the sweden democrats they were yeah. seen as you know the boot boys the skinheads the neo-nazis yeah. and now all of a sudden they're in sharp suits uh far better haircuts than what they had back at that time yes. and they're sort of the king makers who votes for them christian is it you know people who are already on the right lurching right is it people who are working class people who feel abandoned you know who who goes to the polls and puts their x in the box for them
0: Yeah, this is a super interesting question because I think the assumption pretty much always that that these are sort of, you know, disaffected right-wing voters who have sort of found a new home. But when you look at the statistics over the last, I mean, I moved to Sweden uh, just before the election, the first election where the Sweden Democrats almost got into power when they pulled in, you know, 3%. um, And you've seen this steady rise up to around 20. And what you see is that they're pulling voters in from different areas. But actually, they have been pulling in voters from, for example, the Social Democrats and the largest trade union in Sweden, LO, the second most popular party amongst male members of that trade union is the Sweden Democrats. and It's been that way for a while now, the most popular, of course, being still the Social Democrats. So this notion that this is simply sort of younger, disaffected, right, former right wing voters uh, is not necessarily the case. They're, they're getting a fairly a broad spectrum of of voters over the years. But as I said before, what we've noticed is, I think they've hit a ceiling at 20. And it's been seems to have been stuck on that for quite some time. And and their problem for their voters very much is that up until this point, they haven't seen the possibility of any real ability to affect change in government. But now, right wing parties like the moderates and the uh, Christian Democrats have been more open in their willingness to work with them. And that could give some impetus to the party but but no th- their support is not simply from some some from former right wing it cuts across the political spectrum yeah.
1: If we look at the rest of Scandinavia as a sort of a barometer over the last few years, and by that, you know, that's strictly Scandinavia, but say Finland, Denmark, Norway, they've all had two things, right? They've all had these flirtations with far-right parties, many of whom have gotten into government, the true Finns in Finland, um, uh, in was that in Norway or Denmark? I always mix those two up. Um, but they've all had their, their periods in government, so they've been sort of brought in out of the cold. Why is Sweden lagging behind a little bit? And the second part of that question is, what are the Sweden Democrats? offering that you know former social democrat voters actually want
0: um regarding the first question yes sweden was more willing to freeze out the so, the sweden democrats the, their sort of nationalist party in a way that the norwegians the finns and the danes were not um they came in out of the cold i mean you could even say up until the 2018 election Right wing parties in Sweden were not willing to work with them or they were at least willing to have discussions with them. That has changed since the last election. The Christian Democrats, the moderates, uh, even the Liberal Party actually have now said that they're willing to uh, work with them, not necessarily in the form of a coalition government, but to at least discuss policy issues. And they even submitted a joint budget proposal uh, a few months ago here in Sweden. And that was something that was utterly unthinkable. Several years ago, and actually most conservative parties in Sweden, including the moderate party, very openly said that they they couldn't see any future situation where they would work with the Sweden Democrats. That has not happened now. We've seen a change. And that's probably a a pretty cynical uh, move to get power because the the right realizes that without the Sweden Democrats, there will be no right wing government in Sweden, given the the current uh, balance. So in terms of the other Nordic countries, you've seen that the Sweden's freeze out was longer. Uh, but the question was how long that would hold. And what we saw was it held up until about 2020, 2021. And then basically the right realized that they wouldn't be seeing a prime minister uh, without them. Uh, now, the question of what they offer, that's, that's an interesting issue, because one of the, of course, the criticisms of the Sweden Democrats is that every single time a policy issue is raised with them, immigration seems to be the answer to the question. Education, crime, economics, foreign policy there always seems to be the answer, always seems to go back to the question of there being too many immigrants in the country. I think that for, for for example, for working voters, or if we're talking about the trade union, for example, this idea about, you know, people coming in and taking jobs, this notion of, you know, Swedish jobs for Swedish workers, that plays in with a a lot of people who are worried about the the situation in Sweden in terms of future economy. Um, But really in terms of concrete political proposals, Sweden Democrats are very much light on the ground on that. Um, I think one of the things that they've done over the past 15 years, they very much played upon the social democratic notion of the sort of the Swedish homeland, the welfare state. They talk about, you know, workers that paid into this system. So it's the people who paid into the system who should benefit from them at the end, this sort of notion, this notion of sort of a community and communalism. So in a way, at least rhetorically, Sweden Democrats have played very much on this sort of social democratic notion of the, the homeland, the home state. But in terms of practical policy, um, you really don't see much concrete coming from them. But I think I think in terms of, for example, workers or working class voters, that issue of labor, of work, of, of losing jobs to sort of people coming in from other countries when people are unemployed, how can we be bringing in other labor force? That's been a fairly powerful message.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things we should mention is that in Sweden, it operates in a party system, right? So you're not going to get an independent candidate who's just voted into the parliament. You have to have 4%, pardon me, you have to have 4% nationally before your party gets in there. Now, certain parties are at risk of dropping out, among them the Green Party on the left, if you like, and the Liberals and the Christian Democrats on the right. Now, if one or more of those parties was to drop out of the the equation, does that mean that, you know, if the Greens drop out, there'll be more Social Democrats, or if the Liberals drop out there to be more Sweden Democrats. How do you think that might play out? Who, who might benefit from less parties in parliament, so to speak?
0: This is, this is a super important question that I think a lot of people are just not even thinking about, because we have two parties right now that are currently under that number, and that is the 3.4% for the Greens, and I think the, the Liberal Party, uh, which is really in free fall right now, I think they're, the poll that I saw today has them at 2.2%, so their chances of getting in are very slim. My understanding of the situation is this, if both of them don't get in, one would be in the left center block and the other one would be on the right. The liberals would be on the right block and the Green, par- and the Green Party would be in the center left block. If both of them don't get in, that benefits the left block, because if, if one of them gets in, that could be the tipping point. So, for example, if um, the Greens get in, but the liberals don't, that pretty much, I think, would almost guarantee a win for the left block. If, however, the Greens don't get in, but the Liberals get in, that could actually tip the balance to the right. So this is another very good example for international observers and for the press, where this this real sort of fixation with looking at the Sweden Democrats blinds you to some of these smaller parties that really can make the difference in the election. So these small parties, the, the Greens are much, much closer to staying into parliament than the Liberals. And if the Greens do stay in with the current numbers, then I think that pretty much is curtains for the right. I can't see a situation unless there's a really something dramatic happens in the next six months. So that's actually a very, very interesting issue for people to pay attention to is where are the liberals? Where are the greens? How close are they to getting in? If they don't, both don't get in, then you start having questions about, and this, where it starts getting really complicated is, the left party is, getting, is seeing a sort of a slight resurgence. They're around 10% right now. Will the center be willing to work with them in a coalition or cooperation? But, but yes, these small parties that are on the verge of leaving can actually make the difference in the coming election. So if one gets in, it could benefit their side almost entirely. If both don't get in, the, the, the way it looks right now, at least, is that it would benefit the left. But you know, in the next few months, a couple of percentage swings to the right would mean the opposite. So it, it's becoming one of those things that since the elections in September... Starting April, May and June, people are going to be getting very, very nervous looking at those two parties and wondering if they're going to get in.
1: Um, what issues do you think are going to be to the fore there? Because you mentioned, you know, immigration in general as being, you know, the Sweden Democrat solution to everything. Just point okay. at that. Um, do, you know, the pandemic has obviously been handled differently here compared to the rest of the world. Is that going to be an issue? Has Sweden's economy suffered? The school system has been privatized to the point where it's crazy altogether. Do you think that those, you know, what issues are, are voters going to be thinking of when they go to cast
0: their ballots? I think this is just my personal opinion, not based on any research or anything like that. But I. I would say that one thing that might surprise people uh, is that I don't think COVID is going to be an issue. I don't think the handling of the COVID pandemic, largely because of the nature of the Swedish system where, you know, the Swedish uh, public health authority is a sort of, it's a non-political organization. And most of the political parties in Sweden, including those on the right, were not particularly critical of the strategy at the beginning. So I think it would be sort of political suicide in a way to start criticizing Sweden's handling of the pandemic, I mean, from the, from the right to start criticizing the government handling, because they were largely uh, went along with it for months and months for most of the time. So I don't, I don't actually think, and I think the perception amongst in politics anyway in Sweden is that the handling of the pandemic was not a problem. It may have been maybe six or eight months ago after the last wave in the winter, you started the beginning to see some criticism, but really that died out. And, and, and funnily enough, considering for it's been two years, considering what massive amount of attention the international press has given to Sweden, I don't think COVID is gonna be an issue. I do think what we, when you look at opinion polls and when you look at questions asked to voters, law and order has become a major issue. It's been on the cards for the last few years. Immigration was supposedly an issue in the last election, but actually things like education and economy tended to be bigger. But law and order and sort of criminal activity and policing that has clearly risen up in the ranks. That's been something, if we're gonna think about the influence of the Sweden Democrats on the Swedish political landscape, uh, their pressing of this issue has actually broken through and it has become a major one. And what the result of that is that we're seeing uh, parties on the left, the Social Democratic Party, taking a much, much harder rhetorical and policy line on issues such as law and order, and in relation to the other issue, immigration, you're now seeing social democratic politicians openly being much more aggressive on sort of stopping the number of people coming into Sweden and the number of sort of rejected asylum applications. So much in the same way that we saw in, in Finland and Norway and Denmark, where the rhetoric of the, the, the anti-immigration right was absorbed and adopted by the left, particularly in Denmark, you're seeing the same thing happening in Sweden. You're starting to see Swe- the social democrats Making statements about immigration and crime and law and order that largely would not have taken place five or six years ago. And I think, I think if I had to guess which issue is really going to dominate the domestic agenda here in Sweden, it will probably be uh, law and order, followed probably not that far behind by, for example, healthcare and education, and particularly healthcare having been affected by COVID, but education is a major issue as well about privatization, as you said. But I would say, I would probably guess law and order will, will dominate.
1: There is a tendency, Christian, in all of the Nordic social democratic p- parties to eventually give in to these <laughs> far right parties yeah. and basically throw immigrants under the bus, right? Yeah. We saw Helithoni Schmidt do that in Denmark yeah. and they adopted a really sort of hard. I think Morgan, you once on here in Sweden was you know almost boasting about uh, the number of people who've been sent back or rejected, yes. you know, yeah. uh, in recent weeks. Is there a danger to that? Because it's like they're sort of conceding that hang on a second, the Sweden Democrats and the Truth, it, they were right all along, but if yeah. If you can see that ground and you move that far to the right, is there any way of coming back to the left again after that happens in, in Nordic social democracies?
0: No, I don't think so. And I think that one, that's, of course, one of the major discussions has been. And if I understand correctly, and I mean, I, again, I'm not a political scientist, but if I understand the research correctly, research, I think if I'm right in saying it, has shown that social democratic parties that move to the right on issues such as like immigration, they don't actually wind up seeing a big bump there Uh, because I think what happens is it sort of winds up negating the issue as a key one for the right. So I think that actually uh, in Denmark, you've seen them maintain power, but if you look at other examples, like for example, in Germany, uh, AFD, you know, alternative for Deutschland, the German alternative party, they of course pushed this anti-immigration agenda hard for a number of years, but unlike the Nordic countries what you saw was that the Christian Democrats, Merkel, and maybe other parties on the left, the Greens, they didn't absorb that rhetoric to the same extent that they have, for example, in Denmark. And what you saw is that AFD kept their popularity for a while, but now they're on the decline there because actually the sort of wind was taken out of their sails. And I think that, yeah, once you go down that line and once you start taking an anti immigrant line and start, as you're saying, bragging about the number of people you're expelling from the country, I think it becomes ideologically, ethically, and morally, I think you've crossed the line there and it becomes very, very difficult to go back again. Because of course, what you've done is you've painted yourself into a corner. The, the social Democrats for decades uh, were the sort of, the, the sort of the antithesis to the right, even though actually what people need to remember, the intake of Syrian refugees was a process that started under a conservative government in Sweden and was continued and then stopped by a left-wing government. But yes, I think that that move to mimic the rhetoric of the right, um, then in a way sort of says, yes, they were right all along. So there's a certain element of hypocrisy. And also I think for for core voters, uh, social democratic voters, for example, or left voters, then leads to the question of, you know, what kind of party am I voting for? And actually maybe I'll be better off looking for parties further to the left, for example, the left party or the green party or parties at the center that I think aren't taking that hard a line. So I I think it's a very problematic move personally.
1: As a professor of journalism, um, th- th- I think in Sweden, in English, we call the uh, journalism and the media the fourth estate. In Sweden, it's called tredje Statsmakten, which yes. would be essentially the third estate. Yes. Um, how do you view the media in this country? Do you think that they do a good job in terms of holding the politicians on both sides to account? Um. <laughs> that size an awful it's, lot a, <laughs> it's
0: a tough one because I'm, I mean, I, I'm from a country, I, I lived in two, well, I live in three countries, I live in Turkey as well, but I mean, I, I come from, I, I'm, you know, educated and brought up in the United States, but I also lived in the United Kingdom for a long time. And one thing that Sweden does not have, that the United States and the UK does have, is what we might think of as a more sort of hard right wing element to the press. There's no Swedish equivalent of the Daily Mail or the Daily Express or Fox News. So Swedish media generally on the whole, of course, Swedes will disagree with me and say, no, no, it's, I'm saying compared to those countries, does not have uh, papers at the ideological uh, extremes, particularly on the right-hand side as you do, which largely push a lot of conservative agendas. Uh, I mean, Swedish journalism is largely accused of being very much sort of consensus oriented. And so, and, you know, for example, you know, public service broadcasting in Sweden, um and i'm a, I'm a big fan of public broadcasting. I think it's a super important part of democracy. But one thing they're accused of is an excessive, like slavish devotion to neutrality and objectivity, where sort of all sides is. I think that generally speaking, one thing as as a foreigner who lives in Sweden, who comes from another country is, I do think that policy discussions in Sweden are be- much better in the media than they have been in the co- other countries that I've lived in, So, for example, in the United Kingdom and the United States. I think that generally speaking, uh, up until recently, Swedish media have been quite good at discussing sort of, you know, key policy issues. And But in terms of holding politicians to account, um, no. But then I wouldn't say that I say that I think that most news organizations around the world are not that good at keeping, at, at keeping politicians to account, largely because there's a very important and mutually beneficial relationship between media and power. And that doesn't just have to do with politics. It has to do with all elements of society that have power. So, for example, corporations or politicians. I think that Swedish media have been good at discussing policy, but I I will say that I think that that has declined in the last three or four or five years. I think since I moved to Sweden uh, about 14 years ago, I think that political coverage in the country has slipped away from a focus on policy or deeper policy issues and has become more superficial and more, and I, I don't wanna say Americanized, but it's sort of more focused on sort of short discussions, short issues, personality-related questions. But that's a tendency, a drift that we're seeing across Europe and across the world, not necessarily in Sweden
1: the international image of, of Sweden is something that you tend to come back to on your social media and you're yeah. well worth following on Twitter at CHR Christensen <laughs> um, it, it, that's one of those things that I mean the more I work and the more I report on Sweden and I've been doing it for a long time now the more I realize how people have a completely wrong idea of what's happening in this country because yeah. you know we look to it as when I was growing up in the 80s in Ireland we looked at Olaf Palma's Sweden as being you know the country that stood up against the Vietnam War yeah. a country that stood up for itself that doesn't exist anymore because basically everything that hasn't been nailed down has been private privatized in terms of healthcare yeah. and education. Do, does the rest of the world have a, like a representative image of the Sweden that you and I live in, do you
0: think? I think, I mean, yeah, you're right. This is one thing I talk about a lot. And I think the reason why it's important is that Sweden is off it has been used in the last, particularly in the last five or six years as a symbol for something. And if we're talking about 2014 through 2017, 2018, the discussion of the, the intake of 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 asylum seekers and refugees, and you know Sweden was used as sort of some kind of scare scenario for what happens when you bring in too many immigrants, uh, and and then same thing with COVID, right? That that COVID, I mean Sweden is all over the place. It started out as a sort of a horror show, and then it became sort of the darling of the libertarian right in the United. I mean, it really has been all over the place. But I think that it's been rooted. The, these discussions are largely rooted in outdated and I would even say slightly romantic and incorrect notions of what Sweden is. And I think that those things that I think are most incorrect is, first of all, this sort of notion of social democracy. I think people have a sort of misguided idea about where social democracy is in Sweden today, or where it was in the past. People still think of Sweden as being a largely homogenous country. That's another thing. Uh, You know, People talk about, ironically, we talk about immigration, but I think that During COVID, for example, people said, well, I mean, these sort of recommendations work there because it's a very homogenous country. Mm -hmm. Sweden is not an ethnically homogenous country anymore. It's not a politically homogenous country. It is certainly not an economically homogenous country. Um, This notion of egalitarianism and equality, yes, in relative terms, I again come from a country, the United States, that has massive inequality, much more than Sweden. But the notion of Sweden being this entirely egalitarian country with very little economic inequality. That's not true. Um, and I think, as you're saying, the sort of, I think a lot of it is this sort of Olaf Palma, IKEA, Bjorn Borg, ABBA, kind of melange, a view of the country that, that people, and I think people tend to think that they understand the country because they've consumed this kind of pop culture notion in the same way that people think they understand the United States because they watch a lot of American movies. Mm. And what happens is that discussion about the country, either politically or uh, economically, becomes rather stereotypical. And, and that's why, for example, when we discussed the Sweden Democrats, its rise over the last 15 years, people were like shocked. They're like, well, I mean, this is unthinkable. Or there's, you know, it's not unthinkable if you live here and you listen to the discourse and the way it's moved over the years. So I think that I think that the image of Sweden continues to be very, very stereotypical. I mean, this idea that, this, that the Sweden's COVID policy was sort of unthinkable to people. I think that also speaks to a certain idea about the country that's rooted in, in a large number of stereotypes. I, I think that, that, that unrepresentative image of Sweden is probably waning, but what's interesting is that it still has a large amount of power and, and journalists continually make these comments that you know swedes are like this they all do this they all look like this and even after all these decades of immigration and change and political change and and the, and the sort of the shift to the right in the 1990s we're talking almost 30 years ago now it still has a lot of power and i think that it is it's also a question of romanticism i think people like the idea of a country that sort of stands for something or that they think that they understand because you know complexity ruins a lot of beautiful ideas
1: it, it is the kind of place where absolutely anything can be projected on the canvas in yeah. Sweden, you know, uh, the, the joy of social democracy or the ills of immigration. It's you know, like so- it's
0: like it's like a sort of like a political economic Rorschach test, right? Whatever, <laughs> whatever you want to think about something, you look at Sweden and you see. So it's collapsing because of immigration. And then three months later, it's a haven of uto- and utopianism of of you know love for the citizen and democracy. Because so everybody's the same. The same. Two years ago said it's a collapsing shithole, excuse me, are the same people now saying what a fantastic country is that respects its citizens. And they say this without a tinge of irony
1: yeah that's the thing unfortunately yeah, uh, the, the internet is undefeated so like an awful lot of these comments will be out there so we can go and dig them up i have two final questions for you my friend and thank you very much for taking the time sure. is there a, like sweden is one of those strategically important places only 10 million people but it's always been considered you know going back hundreds of years to be strategically important is there any risk of outside interference we've heard of you know the russians getting involved in elections and and uh, referenda in various different countries is there any risk of that happening in sweden or is it just too insignificant for that
0: I don't I don't, Swedens don't. I don't want to say Sweden's too insignificant for anything, but...
1: Um, you get a lot of letters I, to the editor if that yeah, happens.
0: <laughs> I would... No, it, I mean, no, of course. I mean, like like any country, especially any country that borders, you know, that, that has a sort of strategic importance. Sweden's in, important in the way that any other country is important. But I think that, you know, the Sweden just started this sort of institute for sort of combating, you know, disinformation from countries like Russia... I think when you looked at, again, if you look back at the results of the 2018 election and the 2014 election, in both of those cases, the Swedish government, I think, did sort of analysis of the influence, outside influence on the election from, for example, actors like Russia. And they found that the influence was fairly minimal. Mm. I think that, of course, there's a question of vigilance here. Of course, there's always attempts to influence from outside organizations, whether it be Russia or even the United States. Um, as an American, I can't sit here and pretend like my country has not stuck its finger into countless countries' domestic politics. Um, uh, but I think that perhaps, I think that our worry, if, if we're worried about politics in Sweden, if we're worried about politics in Europe, the, the, the worry should be from inward, not from outward. I think that, yes, of course, there's, in, there's attempts to influence, but in the last election in 2018, for example, the evidence of influence, for example, in terms of disinformation, it's always there. But I think that the influence uh, was not as great as people may have thought. I think that, and to sort of take a slightly tangent issue here, that one of the reasons why I think Sweden has been able to not not succumb to the temptations of conspiracy theories in the same way that the United States has, is that Sweden still has a population that consumes a fairly large amount of news. Uh, They read newspapers and they watch television news. And that regular consumption of journalism, I think, is an antidote to the kind of uh, obsession with conspiracy theories that we're seeing in other parts of the world. And if media go down the road of simplification and dumbing down of politics, we run the risk of seeing an increased influence of things like conspiracy theories. So as, a, as, a, as someone who studied journal, I'm not a journalist, but I, I research journalism, I can't emphasize enough the importance of the consumption of high quality journalism and an, as an antidote to Sort of conspiracy theories. Yeah, Sorry, what was your second question there?
1: Uh, no, the last question is about finally at the second attempt, uh, Sweden managed to shake off the shame that it had never had a female prime minister yes. until now. <laughs> Magdalena anderson being that female prime minister is that going to have any discernible effect? Is it going to you know encourage more women to vote for her, or is she just going to be another social democrat when this race starts?
0: I don't know what influence she, she's had. A good start, I mean, in terms of polls and popularity. Uh, you know, she's had a good bounce. The Social Democrats are now over 30% in the last poll, which is the first time they've been there for a while. Her approval rating as party leader is much higher than all of her competitors. That's not unusual, of course, when you first take over, because I think people were, Stefan Levin had been there for a long time. She was seen as a breath of fresh air. But we have to remember that Magdalena Anderson is also not seen as a sort of Palma leftist Social Democrat. She's seen as, is it anything, a center-right Social Democrat, a sort of you know fiscally conservative. So her appeal as party leader, I think in, from the Social Democratic perspective is, it says she will appeal to the more center-right voters who may be leaning towards the moderates than the left. And so I'm not sure if her gender is gonna have any influence. I mean, it, it was an issue at the beginning, but I think, I would think that now that it, it might lead to a few, some extra votes, I don't know. But I think that really the bigger question is for politics. And I think she she is someone who's a very serious person. Um, and I also think that she's someone who was picked also for fairly pragmatic reasons, because she is if we're talking if we're going to compare it to the UK, this is like Keir Starmer versus Jeremy Corbyn. Mm. I think that there's sort of a fear that if you pick someone too far to the left, that you're going to alienate the centrist voters that could be absolutely critical. So she's a pick. Of someone who is not an old school social democrat, this is the rightward drift of the social democratic party that we're talking about. I think she represents that. So if you're if you're if you're an old school social democrat, this might be seen as something not that good. But I think in terms of pragmatic politics, I think that that might be one of the reasons why we're seeing a bump for the for the social democrats, and it might actually wind up keeping them in power for another four years. <laughs>
1: Uh, It all remains to be seen. It's all up for grabs on the first Monday in uh, September when the votes are counted. And no doubt we'll be speaking to you before then. But for now, Christian Christensen, thank you so much for taking the time.
0: Sure, no problem.